visiting today. Um, I don't come from a biblical background. I don't come from a church background. I was raised in a completely secular world. So uh, if that helps anyone understand, I got saved 20 years ago almost. And uh, God brought me out of really a, a place of ignorance. I'd never been in church my entire life. So the night I heard the gospel is the very first time it was ever introduced to me. <clears throat> Went to church the next morning and uh, God has dramatically changed my life, obviously. Um, but today we're going to do our best. I'm going to try to share some pretty... Uh, complex issues or some complex ideas, but I'm going to do my very best to simplify them the best that I can um, to make them clear. So two weeks ago, we were in the book of Joshua. We were in chapter number four. We were in verses 12 and 13. And what we saw there was God had sort of pulled out. There were two and a half tribes that God kind of pulled out. And as he talked about those tribes, there was something that was unique about them. And what we did was we used the five investigative questions two weeks ago. We looked at who, what, when, where, and why. We looked at, we wanted to understand who are these guys? Let's learn their story. So what we did was we dug into them. We looked at who they were. And what we did was we looked at the patriarchs of where they came from, who were the, 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 the namesakes. There was the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And what we did in recognizing who they were was we recognized that each one of these men had character traits. They had tremendous potential, there's no doubt. But at the same time, they had some character flaws that unfortunately affected their, their future. Then we looked at what they were doing. They were putting on a military display. They were doing this big thing where 40,000 troops were walking in front of everyone. And what they were doing is they were taking a display for the people to see, but they were also trying to put a display for God to see. They were trying to say, hey, you know what? We're in on the mission that you've given us, which is to, to bring the people into Canaan. Then we looked at the when. When was this taking place? Well, we found that this is taking place literally just about 30 days after the death of Moses. This is at the end of the, the wilderness journey where the people were brought out of Egypt and then were in the wilderness. Then we looked at where, where this was happening. These soldiers were amassed on the western bank. You hear that on the news all the time, the west bank. It's the west bank of the Jordan River. This is the Canaan. This is, this is Canaan, the promised land. And these two and a half tribes of soldiers, well, they were selected out because they had made a deal a few years earlier where their women and their children and their cattle would actually be actually still in the wilderness while they would go forward and fight for the people. And then we looked at the why. And this was the important one. What was the why? What was the reasoning behind what it was that they did? And we examined the deal that they made with Moses. Back in Numbers chapter number 32, they had made a deal with Moses because what they saw was when they came into the land, they looked at this land and they're like, man, this is good cattle land. We've got cows, so this is a great place. So instead of ever going into the promised land, they said, we're going to settle for this. This is what, what we want. It wasn't what God wanted for them because we know God's plan, God's plan was them, was for them was the promised land. This was what they wanted. So what we found as we looked into their why was their reasoning wasn't for what they could do for the Lord, but what they could do for themselves. And what we found was their motivation behind all of the things that they did was all the means to an end to fulfill their own fleshly lusts. So we look at this outward display and we go, man, these look like godly men, but in reality their hearts we're not where they're supposed to be. So we saw disobedience with them. And what we found is the fact that as this thing took, this, as this display takes place, and as these people were literally disobedient, what happens is God is going to work all of obedience and disobedience and work them together for his plan. And this is one of the ways that God works in our life. Because how many of us have been disobedient in our Christian lives? Hello. <laughs> happens all the time. We're a bunch of uh, knuckleheads. We mess up all the time, every day. I'm, I'm like, Lord, man, I stink. Oh, gosh. What happens is God works all things together for good for those that love God that are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. So it means he makes, when I make a misstep, God can still redirect that. We talked about it in the past. It's like GPS. When you make a wrong turn, the GPS doesn't say, I quit. 
I'm done. It recalculates and gets you back on course. And that's kind of the way God works with us. So what we're going to see is how God kind of recalculates things today. And our message this morning is titled, Come Up. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and this gift you've given us of, uh, Lord, this incredible word. Uh, Lord, as I've studied this uh, scripture and Lord, I have prayed over it, I've studied it, I've read it, I have uh, written, Lord, you know that uh, this message was much larger and you've whittled it down and whittled it down for me. And Lord, I thank you for that help. And Lord, you know, my desire today is not to be heard. I don't want this to be about me. I desperately want to disappear if I could just vanish somehow. And Lord, I, I would. But Lord, I'm asking you to, to use me, uh, Lord, as a vessel that I might share the truth of what you have for us to hear. Lord, help us have ears to hear, uh, Lord, that we might hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 14 through 16. It says, On that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. Now, the first thing that stood out to me in the fact that when we read this is this actually harkens back to Joshua chapter number 3 when we were back there, where this is what the Lord said in Joshua 3, 7. It says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day... Will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. So we notice this word. It says, I will begin to magnify thee. So what we find here is this Joshua being magnified actually starts when he begins to fulfill the destiny that God had for him. He was the man that was to be set aside to bring the people into the promised land. But we see here that this crossing had multiple purposes. This was not only just to get the Israelites out of the wilderness and into the promised land, but it was also about really uh, seeing this miraculous event as an opportunity for God to sort of shine the spotlight on Joshua. We're looking at the faithfulness of this man. And so when we read this, it seems pretty straightforward. We're like, okay, everything's done. They've done all the work. Everybody's over the promised land or in the promised land. The priests are standing there at the riverbed of the Jordan River, and he's going to tell them to come up. And when they come up, guess what? We're done. Seems pretty straightforward. And that is exactly what's going to happen. But what's interesting about the Bible is the fact that it isn't as cut and dry as we see. There's a whole lot more being communicated in this little scripture than we would normally understand. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at kind of the miraculous way that God wrote the Bible. The Bible is so incredible in the fact that it is a supernatural book. Understand when God wrote it, he wrote it three different continents, okay? Three different continents over about a 2,000 year period. The United States is only a couple hundred years old. We think it's really, really, I mean, we think back to the founding of our country, like, man, that's a long time ago. 2,000 year time period, different people, different times. You're talking about 40 different human authors, men that came from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different educations, different, uh, different I mean, you name it. They were, they were completely different people from kings all the way to fishermen. And yet what we find when you read the Bible is the fact that it all works together miraculously because guess what? It is the same author. God is working through human beings to fulfill and write his word. But what's amazing about it is the fact that unbeknownst to the author's they were writing actually on three different levels of communication. They're writing something and not understanding necessarily what's going on. What we find is that, first of all, there was, the Bible is a historical record. It is a historical record of actual, literal events. Okay? Nothing in the Bible is hyperbole. It is all true. And what's so cool about it is the more archaeologists try to dig and try to misprove or disprove the Bible... The most wonderful thing and one of the greatest joys in my heart is when they go and do things and they're like, okay, well, man, oh, that, that just confirmed more Bible. Ugh, you know, They're looking to disprove it. What they find is the more they dig, the more they improve or the more they prove it. 
they're talking, I'm talking about peoples that they didn't believe existed because they saw, oh, this, this person's, they're only in the Bible, but they're not in history. But now they keep finding these people existing in different places. They're finding locations and all of this details and all these facts verifying the scripture is true. So then we have that aspect, which is historical. Then there's what's called the doctrinal or the prophetic application. This is where God wants to reveal the deep things of himself, okay? This is where God's going to show us things that we would not otherwise be able to see. This requires the indwelling Holy Spirit. As a born-again believer in God, the Spirit of God moves within us at the moment we receive Christ. That indwelling Spirit then works as a translator to help us and a guide to help us understand the Scriptures. And what's cool is God uses the Bible to define the Bible. I'm going to share with you in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 14. Here's an explanation of it. It says, But as it, as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Okay? So we look at that and we go, okay. Many people preach that that's talking about heaven. And it's not talking about heaven in any way, shape, or form. You couldn't find heaven within a couple chapters of this. What it's actually referencing is the Word of God. Listen further. Because he says, look, I have not seen, no one knows any idea. Verse 10 says this, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So now God's going to reveal these deep things that we could not otherwise understand. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? He says, look, who really knows me except for me, right? I know my inner thoughts. That's what he's saying. He says, even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. The spirit of God's got to be the one that's going to explain it. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. God wants us to know these things. Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. How does he teach it? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. He says, look, go to the Bible and the Bible define the Bible. But the natural man, listen to this, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Someone who does not, does not have the Spirit of God living within them, this is their problem, for they are foolishness unto him. Someone reads the Bible and they go, you know, that's just a bunch of silly stuff. I don't even know, what, what does that thing even mean? Who's ever read, prior to getting saved, you try to read the Bible and you're just like, what in the world? <laughs> what? This is crazy stuff. I'm like, you read it and you're like, and you're like can this really be, ha- I mean, I, you're just, it's just, it just seems like foolishness is exactly what it says. It says, because they are spiritually discerned. They're spiritually discerned. The Spirit helps us to understand. So the Bible was also written on this devotional level. The devotional level. The devotional levels, how does it apply in my life? Okay? A lot of us are familiar with this. A lot of times this is the way most preaching is done in our nation. Is how do I take the Bible and use it as a self-help book to make me better? How do I use God to make my life? i got to survive this week. Go to church. You're going to give me what I need. Get me to next week, and then I'm going to come back in. You're going to give me something else that I need. Because the thinking is that the Bible exists or God created it for us. And it is for us, but it's not for us to use God. It's about God using us. It's about God shaping us. It's supposed to be about adapting our lives to Him. So it's instructing us in how it is we're to live these lives and what these lives purpose, that the purpose of our life is. The purpose of our life is not to find happiness. It's to be holy. It's about glory unto God, not glory unto self. We're all of our lives spend so much time and energy trying to fulfill ourselves. We try to have the right, the nicest car, the nicest clothing, the nicest house, whatever it is. We want all of these things because we're trying to receive glory to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. But in reality, at the end, we go, you know what? Gosh, it's not enough. It's just not enough. It's just not enough. It's just not enough. Because we're born with a God-shaped void in our heart. And it's not until that relationship is restored that we find fulfillment. And that's the purpose of the Bible. It's to draw us back to the Lord. Because the struggle, 
No matter if we live 6,000 years ago or if you live in 2021, the struggle is always the same when it comes to humanity. It's a battle with our flesh. It's a battle between our flesh and our spirit. Galatians 5.17 says this, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. God created you for a specific purpose, those things that you would do. But because you're in this battle between your flesh and your spirit, guess what? They don't get done because we are warring with our flesh. So what we're going to do today, and this is going to be, this is my task, is we're going to take those three different applications and we're going to go plug them into this scripture and we're going to see what it's teaching us. So we're going to look at what was being written on all three different levels. First of all, starting with historical, okay? Historical application, look at this. The word, we see it starts off. That day, okay, this is what our focus is going to be. It says, on that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. So we know from our study of the book of Joshua that what's happening right here is this is the culmination of a 40-year journey they've been working through. And the start of this whole thing was God's miraculous deliverance of the people of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt, okay? They were there for over 400 years, and God brought them out. And what he did was he drew them out with a man that he used named Moses, Moses was the deliverer. Moses is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we find with Moses is the fact that God's plan always was to get them into the promised land. We go back to Exodus chapter number 3, verse 17, the burning bush. We've all heard of that before, right? At the burning bush, guess what? Moses is confronted with his job, and he's like, I can't do this. I'm a lame, lame, dude. I'll never be able to pull this off. And God's like, no, 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 don't worry. You can do it. He says this, and I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt into the land of of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Mosquito Bites unto a land flowing with milk and honey, right? A land flowing with milk and honey. He says, look, I've got a plan for you. I'm going to bring you into the promised land. I've got this amazing thing for you. So now what we find is this crossing, this successful crossing, this is a special day. So that day, this is a big deal. What we see here is not only the obedience of the people and their submission to God, but we see God's faithfulness to come through for them, to bring them in. But we also see Joshua being magnified because Joshua is fulfilling the destiny that God had for him. That destiny was listed for us in Deuteronomy 31, 7. It says, And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him, In the sight of all of Israel, be strong and of a good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord hath, shown, hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. Guess what, Joshua? You're going to be the one that brings them in. You are going to be the one that brings them into Canaan. And that's just what Joshua has done on this day. Then we look at the command. The command. Verse 15 says this, And the Lord spake unto Joshua. So God gives a command. Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony. We see here not only is Joshua has been faithful to do what God's asked him to do, but what we also see with him is the fact that Joshua has been faithful to wait on God. He's waited on God's instructions. Instead of doing it based upon his agenda or in his timing, he's waited on the Lord. He's done it God's way. We could say it this way, that Joshua was led or guided by the will and the word of God. Man, that we could say that of ourselves. Wouldn't that be wonderful, like what we could say of us, of ourselves? I am guided by the will and the word of, of God. But you see, Joshua was given some assurances. He was given a little, bit of, a little bit of a pep talk by God back in Joshua chapter number 1. This is what he told him to give him some assurance. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall be not any man able to stand before thee thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide an inheritance for the land and I, that which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Man, if you'll faithfully do your part, guess what, Joshua? I'll take care of you, son. I gotcha. You be faithful to me. You surrender your will to mine. And guess what? I will exalt you. The Bible says that he's magnified him. Can I tell you that God gives us assurances just like that in the Word? That if we will be faithful, He'll do the same thing in our lives? James 4, verses 8 through 10 says this, Draw nigh to God, come close to Him, He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Double-minded, He's saying, look, you guys have got your eyes on the world and you have eyes on God. I'm going to serve the Lord while I'm serving the world. And guess what? It does not work. The Bible says you cannot serve God and mammon. It's an impossibility. We've got to, you've got to be either in one or in the other, right? The Bible says you be hot or be cold. He says, because you're lukewarm, because you're lukewarm, God says, I'll spew you out of my mouth. He says, you make me sick. Decide where you're going to stand. If you're going to be in the world, live in the world. Don't tell people you're a Christian. Live as a heathen, man. Go crazy. But if you're going to be a Christian, stand for me. Honor me. Live for me. Let your light shine into this light and make a difference in the world. So what we find here is the fact that he's telling them, say, look, you double-minded, get focused. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. People hear that and go, what does that mean? What he's saying is, you know what, the things you used to laugh about that you thought were funny, guess what, as God convicts you and shows you that they're wrong and the things you're doing are worldly, help them turn you and make instead of where you used to laugh at a joke, now make it hurt your heart because you see it differently because you understand how it affects God. Let my conviction change your heart. Listen to the last part. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself. Honor God. And he shall lift you up. He'll magnify you. He'll do something in your life. So Joshua is magnified in the sight of all of Israel. And then this, this, he gets that final command. This final command about the crossing in. Now this is going to close the wilderness chapter for the story of the Israelites. This is the end, and it requires the call, the call. Verse 16 says, Let's command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. So the command is for Joshua to call out to the priests and to tell them to come up. Okay, At this point in time, what's happened is everyone's standing on the western bank. Outside of the Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, those folks that stayed over there, everyone else has crossed over. They're all standing over there. And what's happened is now the priests are standing at the bottom of a dry riverbed. The water's being held back by God. But once they step out of that riverbed and the water returns, they're, they're done. And that's the historical application. So let's look at next the doctrinal application or the prophetic. So this is the knowledge that we gain, not from human reasoning, not from our own private interpretation, not because of our experiences, but this is what is revealed to us by the Lord. God shows us and teaches us. He defines things through the scripture. He teaches and helps us understand the depths of scripture. What's interesting to understand is the way that the Old Testament, New Testament work, which is kind of cool. The Old Testament is a picture book that describes and it explains the New Testament truths. 
what you'll find is when God's teaching something in the New Testament, you can always go find back and find a historical record of something that physically happened. So God is literally taking and teaching us spiritual lessons through physical examples. When we teach a child to read, do you just take the word B-A-L-L and just ball, 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 ball? Or do you get a ball, a physical example, and you hold it up and you go, ball, ball, ball? Because guess how humans learn? We don't learn just through knowledge. We need examples. So what did God do when he wrote the Bible? Old Testament is pictures. New Testament, truths. They work together. That's what is so important about this scripture. So as we're going through this, this doctrinal aspect of this, understand that's what's taking place. So it says, that day, that's what we're going to look at first. On that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And that phrase, that day, is what we call a spiritual icon. Okay? It's like a marker that shows up in scripture. It's always referencing the second coming of the Lord. It shows up time and time again, over 200 different times you'll find it in the Word of God. And what it says, it's always pointing to the fact that the Lord is going to return and He's going to bring judgment upon the earth. When we go to the, 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 the Zechariah in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter number 12, verses 8 and 9, listen to these verses. It says, In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. When you go to the book of Zechariah and you just look at verses chapters 12 through 14, you'll show up that that day shows up 16 different times in the scripture, always pointing to the same thing, always pointing to the day of the Lord always pointing to the second coming of Christ. And what's interesting is, guess what? That's the theme of the Bible. If we ask most people what the theme of the Bible is, most people say, salvation, because it's all about me, right? That's the way we think. Everything's about us. But in reality, the, the theme of the Bible is the second coming of the Lord. It's about God receiving the glory that is intended to receive from the beginning. And Adam and Eve, they were supposed to give glory to God, but they were disobedient. And what happens at the very end? God's going to restore things. But guess what it's all about? It's about him sitting on the throne and God receiving the glory that he deserves. So we look at that aspect of, of this. This phrase uh, that points, uh, that day points to the time on earth that the Lord will receive ultimate glory. Now, this is, this is not the case, obviously, in his first coming, right? If we think back to his first coming, he didn't receive glory. He was actually denigrated and run down. The Bible says he was despised and rejected of men. But in the second coming, that will that will be the case. When we hear this prophecy in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. And we go, yeah, okay, I know that part. That was the first coming. But listen to this part. This doesn't line up with the, the first coming. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it, and with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is talking about the second coming of the Lord. Revelations 19, verses 11 through 16 says this, And I saw heaven open, and a behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns, and he, made, and he had a name written, written that no man knew but he himself. And he, had was, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, his own blood, by the way, and his name is called the Word of God. 
And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. Guys, that is believers coming back with God. And his name is called the word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in white linen, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, a sharp two-edged sword, the word of God, that that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, the wrath which the Bible says is being stored up even as... As we speak. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And do keep in mind the fact that this day that we're talking about, it is not just a specific individual day. It's talking and encompassing a time period. It's talking about a, a chunk of time. If you were from the rapture all the way to the second coming where God establishes his kingdom on earth. And you go, how do you know that? Well, the Bible actually defines for us the fact that, guess what? A day doesn't always just mean a day. In 2 Peter 3, 8, it says this, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. He says, look, if you're going to get something, get this. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And you know what that does? That points us to something that maybe some of us have never thought about before, which is the 6,000 years of human history that corresponds with the six days of creation that show up in Scripture. What we find is in those six days, the first six days, guess what? They have an evening and a morning. Every one of them, they are true literal days. But the seventh day, the day of rest, guess what? It doesn't have an evening and a morning. For some reason, it's set apart. It doesn't look like the rest. The pattern is broken. Because guess what? If you apply that principle that a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day, and we understand the fact that guess what? The roughly 6,000 years of human existence, think about this. The Old Testament is give or take about about, about 4,000 years. And then we go to the New Testament, which is being counted even now. We're in 2021. So we're roughly around 6,000 years. And what we find is there is a seventh day of rest coming. In creation, there was a seventh day. And in the 6,000 years of human human existence, guess what? There is coming a day. The Bible calls it the millennial reign of Christ. And it is a day of rest, a seventh day. So based upon the time calendar that we're looking at right now, we're at the sixth day. Guess what's right on the horizon? That seventh day, the return of the Lord. I want you to recognize that the second coming is referenced in Scripture over 800 times. Again, talking about the Lord's return and the events that are leading up to it. And what we find here is that the Lord's going to be magnified on that day like never before. And it leads up to the command And the Lord spake unto Joshua. So God is going to give a command to Joshua. Joshua is the Hebrew rendering of the name Jesus. Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony. Now listen to this in Mark 13. Mark 13, 32, it says this. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. So the Father is going to give a command. He's going to give instructions. He's going to direct the Son. And what we see here says, Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Now understand, the second coming, we don't know the day and the hour, but we can tell the seasons. But guess what? With the rapture, there's nothing telling us when the rapture is going to happen. It can happen right now. There's no indicators at all. For the Son of Man is a man taking, is, is, is as a man taking a journey who left his house and gave authority to his servant. That's us. And to every man his work, guess what? What's our work? To reach this world with the gospel. And command the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, 
For ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And he says, What I say unto you, I say unto all. Watch. 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 Mark is, Mark is speaking of the rapture, the return of, the, of God to bring us to heaven. That's the next event on God's prophetic calendar. That's what's coming next. Now, people go, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. It's not. But rapture means to be, to be caught up, to be caught up. And we can certainly see examples of that being described in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17 says this, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with a voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, which we, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 15, 2 says this, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Luke 17, verses 34 through 36. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, and the other left. And what we find in Scripture is the Apostle John. John is a picture of the church. So when we look in the book of Revelations and we look at the time frame and we look at God's calendar, we see the church age. And then all of a sudden what we find is in Revelations 4.1, there's something that happens. And John, the picture of the church, guess what he does? He gets caught up. Revelations 4.1 says this, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be here after, which brings us to the call, the call. Look at the command, command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. Notice that Joshua is calling up the priests who are standing in the midst of the Jordan. Several weeks ago, as we studied that, we looked at the Jordan and we recognize the fact that the Jordan, if you take that word and you break it up, jor, J-O-R, means spread. And Dan means judgment. So the Jordan River is a picture of spreading judgment. So here the priests stand at a place of judgment. What's God, what's Joshua doing? He's calling them up out of a place of judgment to a place of rest to be with him. John is a picture of the rapture, which is going to come for us. And do you remember what he heard? Right? Come up hither. Come up hither. God's teaching us something in this little story. This is not a coincidence that the wording is the same. Way back here in Joshua, back in Joshua, God is pointing to the fact of the glorious reunion that we will have with him and his son's triumphant return to earth as the conquering king. Then the devotional, the devotional application. How does this apply to us? And I know some of y'all are like, man, oh man, this is way too much. I didn't want to go to college when I came here. Y'all just lay off with all this Bible stuff. Man, back off. So we're, we're past all that now. You guys can all take a breath. Now, how does it apply to us? How does this, how does this impact my life, right? And I'm sorry if I, if I overwhelmed y'all. I apologize. But this is how does this apply to me. We look at that day, okay? On that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, that they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. So we look at this passage and we think about our Joshua, Who's the Lord Jesus Christ? That's, that's what's pictured here. And what we find here is it's very important for us to accurately define what that day is. Okay, For many people, because of the way we think, we believe that that day is our day of salvation. Because on that day, certainly the Lord was magnified like never before in our life. 
If we came to the realization of who we are, lost, broken, and undone without Christ, we fell on our face, we called out to God, we received him as our Savior. Man, hey, that was a, that was a glorious day, no doubt about it. August 11, 2001 for me, man. Never, ever, ever forget it. My wife and I got saved the same night on our knees in a rented house. Wearing a wife beater t-shirt and a pair of dirty shorts. And God changed my life forever. Amen. And he can do the same for anybody. I don't care who you are, what you've done. Amen. Does not matter. Amen. Can redeem anyone. Yes. That all would come to repentance and all come to the knowledge of the truth. God loves everybody no matter how badly we failed. But we see here the fact that these, uh, this, this, for us, certainly individually, that's, that's a big moment. But you see, this is, this is a collective one. This is one where when we come before the Lord, man, this is going to be a day where he'll be magnified by, by all of his children. We'll be united with him. And guess what? We'll sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And he'll be exalted and recognized for who he truly is. But what's interesting is the fact that we'll be reunited at a place specifically called the judgment seat of Christ. When we're called up, we're going to stand before the Lord. And what will happen is we're going to present our Christian lives as our gift to God. Because guess what? This is our time. This is our time. If you're going to serve God, you've got to do it here. Yeah. If you're going to give your heart to God, you've got to do it here. This is where it matters. Because here we're challenged. Here we have a flesh that's fighting against us. Here we've got to battle our own will and our own desires and our own flesh that's fighting us every day. That's why he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Because I've got to go, you know what, today I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to submit myself to you, God. Because guess what? When I have a glorified body, that'll no longer be my problem. I won't have to deal with my flesh anymore. Because while we're here, this is where it makes a difference. So God says, here, I'm going to put you on this earth, and here's your chance. Do something, do something for me. And what we do is we present that life on that day. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 to 10 says this, Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, in this flesh, we're absent from the Lord. But as long as I'm in this flesh and as long as I'm here stuck in this old nasty thing, guess what? I'm not with God. But, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So I walk with the understanding of who it is I serve. I walk with the understanding of who I will stand before. I walk with the understanding that I'm going to live this life for God's glory. That's the purpose. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, because of that, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Because I understand my accountability to God, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to live this life today with that understanding. And I'm going to honor God with the way I live, the choices that I make, the things that I say, the way that I display my love that God's placed in my heart and let it out. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men. Let it, because guess what? All the fruit of the Spirit is in us already. If you're a child of God, all of the love that you're ever going to have for the humanity, it's in you already. The problem is that we're in the way. Our flesh is in the way because we want what we want. And God says, it's not about what you want. It's about what I want. And when you surrender to that and you let it come out, guess what it does? It shines like a light into a dark world. Because guess what? Outside of these doors, it's dark. It's dark. We know people and their life is dark. Every time we talk to them, it feels like you, they feel like you feel like a battery and they're just hooking onto you and sucking you dry. Oh, let me tell you about your day. Tell me about my day. I'm like, oh, brother, here we go. <laughs> or you, every time you talk to me, how's it going? <sighs> well, let me just tell you. And you're like, oh, boy, here it comes. 
right? And that's the way this world is. This place is dark. But what's awesome is the fact that, guess what? We're supposed to be the light. We're supposed to be the light. And it says, let your light so shine. Don't make your light shine. It's not about generating light. It's not like faking it. It's about just letting God show out of us. And if we're a child of God, that's exactly what will happen. He says, this is the last part here. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. Notice this. This is talking about the time we're on earth. According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We'll give an account for the life that we live before the Lord. This is not to determine our salvation. Our salvation is determined by God. But it's determined based upon, it'll determine the rewards we receive from the Lord. What we'll be able to give back to God. Because understand, God has given us this life for His glory, not for our own. And because we spend so much time and energy focused upon what it is that we want, we get consumed by things. Last night, the Lord woke me up, and this isn't part of my message. Last night, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I was playing a video game on my phone yesterday for like an hour. Stupid thing. You just get caught up. Some doom, if, Has anybody ever happened to anybody else? You just start playing something like a puzzle or something like that, and you're like, I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to win this thing. And because we're determined, we're just going to stick with it. And man, we're, just, we're, like, we're determined. Man, we're going to get it done. And over the last three or four years, I've collected all these games that I had in these folders. And I've got all this progress of all these different things i played. And last night at 3 o'clock in the morning, God woke me up. I mean, woke me up. And he said, when you stand before me, how many hours have you wasted with that stupid device? How many hours have you burned focused on that idiotic thing? And I deleted every game on my phone. I was like, look, I'm done, man. I'm like, you know what? This is about denying self. And I know that's a silly example, but you know what God does? He convicts us. He convicts me in the messages just like he convicts you. And as we adapt our lives, we look more like Christ. And that's the whole goal of this thing. Because it's all going to come to an end before we know it. You see, our salvation was up to him. But the portion of our eternal life that we live on this earth, this, God, this part is up to us. And it is a battle. As we said, we war against our flesh. And our flesh constantly wants what it wants. We wake up in the morning and immediately our flesh is like, feed me, bathe me, give me what I want, entertain me. Flesh, 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 flesh. And God says, how about time for me? Ah, when I have time, I'll get to you. No. God should be the priority in our day. So when we do stand before him, after this one shot that he's given us, man, will our life that we present be a blessed celebration of faithfulness that honors God? Or will it be a sad display of selfishness that dishonors God? We all are accountable, lost or saved. We're all accountable. That day could be today. God could call us home today. Where the command of God could go out. And it could be resonating throughout this world. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 said this. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and shall be changed. And when that call goes out, come up hither. Guess what? It will resonate through this entire planet to every corner of this planet. And every single believer who lives on this earth will be caught up for this. This is verse 53 for this corruptible must put on incorruption. We're going to take on that immortal body, that that glorified body. And this mortal must put on immortality. And in that moment, for the first time in our human existence, we're going to look eye to eye with our Savior. 
and his eyes are going to pierce through us, not with anger or with hatred, but I think, unfortunately, for most of us, disappointment, brokenhearted, as he looks at our lives, because we've been given such an opportunity to give our lives for him, to honor him as our Lord and our King and our Savior. The question is, will we stand before him? Having been men and women of faith who lived all lives that honored God, because we took his return seriously, because we didn't just put it off and just try to live our lives for ourselves. Because Paul wrote to us, and he, he, he imparts it this way in Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Walk with the understanding of the lost world and their condition and what it is they need. Because guess what? He says after this, redeem the time. Redeem the time. Let your life speak of my goodness because time is running out. Ephesians 5, 16, he says this, redeeming the time because the days are evil. He says, redeem your time because guess what? Judgment is coming. The days are evil are evil. Judgment is coming. Whether we like it or not, it's coming. The question is, do we live our lives like we believe it? (laughs) Do we live our lives like we believe that's the case? Or do we just put it off? And will we one day stand before the Lord overwhelmed with regret because we focused ourselves so much upon what it is that we were trying to desire, what it is that we wanted out of our life, what it is that we wanted to fulfill fulfill ourselves because we never even, never even gave thought of the reason why God gave us the life in the first place, which wasn't about personal fulfillment. If you've ever been successful or, or reached certain whole heights or goals, what you find is every time you reach one, it becomes hollow. And you need the next one. Because that God-shaped void is only filled from Him. So when we stand before Him, we'll display our lives. It'll either be a life of service and honor to God or be a life of service to self. One or the other. We get determined. The choice is up to us. Because understand, his return, it's about time we start taking it seriously. Because I'm just telling you, it could be any moment we could hear come up when that happens, it's too late. It's too late. It's like wanting to tell someone that you love, that you love them right before they die. And they're about to take their last breath. And they're coherent enough to understand you. You have a choice to go in and speak that truth into their heart. No matter what they've done to you, forgive them, whatever it is. But when they're gone, no more chances. That's what this is. We're given one shot at this life. And if we've blown it up to this day, hey man, tomorrow, let's start afresh. Let's start anew. Let's do what we got to do. What did Paul say? This one thing I do, leaving those things behind, I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Look, I can't change my past. So I'm going to change tomorrow. And I leave you with that. If it's been, if we've blown it up to today, let's change it today. Let's make an impact for the glory of God tomorrow because i'm telling you time is running out let's pray thank you lord for today and the gift of your word god thank you for the truth that you've shared with us and lord what you've 
Lord, hopefully I've been able to communicate um, to the best of my ability, Lord. I know that I am the problem in this equation. Uh, your, your word is, is perfect. God, I am imperfect. So I do pray that, uh, Lord, I did not get in the way, but I do pray, Father, that you help us, Lord, to be mindful of who it is you've called us to be. And Lord, help us to live accordingly. So with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, look, you know what? I don't know even where I stand with God. I can completely understand that. Because let me tell you, almost 20 years ago, somebody asked me a question. They said, if you were to die today, if this is your last day on earth, are you sure you're going to go to heaven? And I honestly looked within my heart and I said, I have no idea. I hope so was my answer. I hope so. I figured I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. Uh, I'm not the worst guy in the world. Maybe I got a shot because I thought, you know what? In the cartoons, the bad guys went to hell. They got horns and the good guys went to heaven. I thought I'm a pretty good guy. Maybe I got a chance. And the fact is that person, thank God, shared with me the fact that it wasn't about being a good person. It was about whether or not I had trusted Christ. Jesus came and died for the sins of the world. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God made a promise. He died for the sins of the world and he offered that gift of salvation to any and all who would believe. And so as he calls to us, all we have to do is respond. It's not a matter of having special knowledge. It's just a matter of surrendering our heart to his. God's desire is that all would be saved and that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. So as he calls you, if he's calling you now, you're watching this online, you're watching this recorded. As God's calling your heart, all you have to do is respond. It's not a work. It's not a a magic prayer. It's not a ceremony. It's a broken heart calling out to God. That's all it is. And if he's calling your heart right now, all you have to do is respond. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. Again, it's not the words of the prayer that will do anything for you. It is the desire of your heart. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to pray and receive Christ, I'm going to lead you in prayer. And again, it's not the words, but it's your heart. God's listening to your heart. If you want to receive him, he will receive you even now. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I understand there's a penalty for my sin. And God, I also understand that you love me and that you died for me on the cross, that you were buried in a borrowed tomb, and you were raised on the third day, proving that you were God and that you've been accepted of the Father. Lord, I do thank you so much for that love, and I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my life, to come into my heart, and save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. It's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.